who among us doesn't enjoy a good mystery? And especially when solving it means that I get to bring out my competitive side, even if it's just me against the clock, I just can't wait to uncover all the secrets. So June's Journey is a game that is completely up my alley, and I think you'll love it too. In June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game, you play as June Parker, who's on a quest to solve her sister's murder and uncover her family's many secrets. Each chapter brings you deeper into the story, and it's set in the Roaring Twenties, so beyond uncovering clues, you get to experience the glitz and glamour of the time. June's Journey is definitely not a game I play mindlessly, which I love because I get genuinely invested and a lot of it is a race against time, so there's a little fun added pressure of trying to find the clues as quickly as you can in each scene. There are also tons of ways to customize the island that you're on, learn more about the characters, and then new chapters are added weekly, so you really can't run out of things to explore. So if you think you're up to solve this case, download June's Journey for free today on iOS or Android or play on PC through Facebook games. June needs your help, detective. Podiobooks.com, an association with pjballantine.net and writersexchange.com, presents Weaver's Web, Written and read by Philippa Ballantyne. Garen sat very still on the rock, scarcely willing to move. This journey to the Outer Islands had been a mistake, he realised. Now here he was, all alone, with not even one guard to stand between him and the weavers. He clutched the iron box closer, knowing it was the only protection he had. In Skellig, he was master, and he'd been foolish to believe that the same was true here. He even missed Giselle. All her strangeness was nothing to what he had found here. The cave he waited in was one of the many that honeycombed the harbour of Morlo. The sea rushed in periodically, dousing the area with heady sea spray, but never quite managing to drown the cave completely. So he sat there on the seaweed-covered stone, waiting for his allies to speak with him. It had all seemed so right, taking the initiative and breaking the weavers before they got a toehold in Crisfell. But perhaps they had somehow sensed his excitement, and the storm had been their doing. They had cunningly kept their true power concealed. He shuddered in the icy spray. No, it, it couldn't be. He refused to believe it. He had told none of his plans. The fault was not his. This was Ashime's old stomping ground. She'd always described the stone-covered peaks and the thick mist with longing and also fear. Now he was actually here, he could understand. The outer islands had a certain atmosphere to them, which suited their new masters well. From further down the corridor came the sound of something slithering. Light issued from there, hardly enough to expose the whole cave, only to outline it with shadows and menaces. All Garen could do was wait. The smell of thick, rotting plant matter reached him. Lord Duke. The voice was dragged from the form that approached. It rasped through a throat thick with mucus. It retained little that could still be identified as human. Some brigand pirate put to better use by the weavers, Garen repeated to himself. It was of no consequence. The shape oozed closer, and Garen was in danger of being able to identify what they'd done with it. He averted his eyes. 
Sweet mother, were those gills? The image of the tentacle that had brought him here flashed through his head. Lord Duke, it repeated, as if having to remind itself. You should not be here. There was to be no link between us until the proper time. Why have you come? Was it his imagination, or did its eyes flicker to the box beneath his arm? He shuddered at the cold menace in the voice. I came to finalise the plans between us, and to tell you that uh, the Marakai's ships are well under construction. They will be ready when you need them. It cocked its head as if listening to distant voices. How very like Lou that gesture was. This we already know. Giselle told us within. You did not need to come here for that, it wheezed. You are here for another purpose. Perhaps that box you carry, Lord Duke, is the real reason. Hmm. Garen's throat tightened as he scrambled for the right words to save both him and Crisfell. No, I cannot imagine what... The creature held up its hand for silence, listening once more to something or someone he could not. Lord Duke, it seems you do not understand. Your mind is a familiar scroll to us. Do not think that you are the first to deal false with us. Garen had no chance. Another weaver that he had not sensed moved behind him like a shot arrow. The box was whisked away from him and placed into the hands of the other. His innards turned to ice water as it raised the lid. Dear me. A deformed hand reached out and ran through the precious seeds contained within. The duke flinched back, waiting for something to happen. Did no one tell you? The glowing eyes mocked him. This cursed plant is nothing against us as a seed, only as leaf. I'm afraid this is quite harmless. No, he sagged back against the sea-slicked rock, feeling his heart collapse, his plans slithering from his grasp. Oh, dear Lord Duke, and this would be all that remains in Crisfell. How very kind of you to do our work for us. So rare. So precious. His father's training had not prepared him for this. Garin had gambled and lost. There were no more cards to play. The weaver turned away from his despair, effectively dismissing him. Then, hearing voices he couldn't possibly imagine, at least not at the moment, the weaver reeled about. Our ship is approaching with a woman aboard. It is a woman in black armour, with red hair. We know her. We feel her. She is familiar to us. It could only be one person. She's still alive, he murmured, aghast at the determination of the woman, 
the sheer impossibility of it. His thoughts flashed back in time, her green eyes lit from passion. She whispered, Not even death can part us, my love. A shiver ran through Geron's body. The thing bore down on him, close enough for him to make out the smeared remains of features. Indeed, never fear. We shall deal with her. As with everything, this can be used. Sweet Lady finished her turn, coming about almost directly into the path of one of the large black vessels. As she made, Jerris and Connor stood close to the prow, along with the rest of Raoul's ragtag crew. Despite their unusual course, they seemed remarkably calm, as if rocketing straight towards another vessel was all in a day's sailing. Connor swallowed, more nervous about falling into the icy deep water than any fight. Hold on! Raoul yelled from the wheel. Taking their lead from the crew, the passengers looped their arms about the rigging. The captain swung the wheel violently starboard, just as they passed by the dark vessel. Sails snapped, and Sweet Lady moaned with the effort of the sudden manoeuvre, but turned to her captain's command remarkably swiftly. Ashimay winced, expecting the poor old tub to shudder and shatter into a thousand pieces. Frau was brave, but suicidal. Indeed, there was a terrible shattering of wood, a shuddering moan that set all their teeth on edge. The black vessel sailed quickly on, but as she pulled away from the older, clumsier vessel, they could see a gaping hole at its waterline. It extended further down below the water, and was the dark ship's doom. As Vral roared orders and the crew hurried to obey, the three passengers leaned over the side. Look, Jerris's sharp eyes picked it out first. Is that some sort of lance? Oh, mother, as she may burst out laughing. A ram! <laughs> the old devil has a ram below the waterline. Sweet lady really does have some surprises under her skirts. The joy was short-lived, however. The other vessel had gained on them during the manoeuvre, and as one rapidly sunk beneath the hungry waves, the other was already racing to their side. Like a spider's web, long grappling lines whirled out from it. Vral bellowed, and both sailors and passengers raced to sever them. The shape of the other vessel was drawn closer, and the sailors paused, knives and swords hovering above the strange dark threads that bound them to it. Ashime cursed and swung her own broadsword, not seeing for a minute what they did. Connor did, though, and tugged at Jerris. No human hand had thrown any grappling lines. Ash! Jerris whispered, and its amber eyes wide, and a line of sweat breaking out in its usually flawless forehead. Ash! Don't! But while the line of sailors fell back in horror, she slashed away. The ship wasn't painted black, far from it. It wore the colour like an oily skin which writhed and pulsated. The lines that connected it to the sweet lady came from this skin, and Ashimo was having trouble severing them. Finally it dawned on her, and she looked across to the ship. They wore the leif of the islands, some of Morlo, some of her own clan, the Dunleary. They were the colours she had worn since she was a child, on those passengers of the dark ship. The wind caught and snapped their hair and clothes as if to mock her. Their faces bore the angry red distortions Ashime recognised from Skellig. White light flashed in front of her eyes as anger boiled in her heart. These could be her cousins, or her uncles. This could even be her. With a cry, she placed one foot on the rigging, and before any could move to stop her, vaulted from the sweet lady. The weavers moved to attack. 
Jerris and Connor followed after, but at that moment she wouldn't have cared if they had or not. A blade passed over her head. She slipped beneath the sword, slashing out and felt it shudder on flesh that was probably her own kin. Quickly regaining her stance, she waited for the next opportunity. A dozen or so opponents, and she immediately spotted the trouble. She'd expected mindless fumbling, but whoever these people had been before the weavers, they retained all their strength and speed. They crowded in on her, forcing her to lose ground. The pattern changed into one of defence. Parry the worst blows on shield or sword, and try to maintain her calm. A blow that she didn't see earned her a ringing head. She felt rather than saw the others join her. Jerris's swift blades at her left, and Connor's stalwart shield and sword arm to her right. You must take their heads, Jerris called, knocking back an opponent, almost all teeth and claws. Or they'll keep coming. Once again, the battle turned, despite the sailors remaining firmly on the sweet lady. Their opponents were strong, but the three were powerful warriors. As she may shoved a tentacled monstrosity over the side, her body was beginning to buzz and fought the inner battle as well as the outer. These opponents were easier than normal. It was somehow safer to cut something that looked at you from blank eyes and didn't scream when toppled. An almost bull-headed one rushed at her from among the press of others. Sweet mother, it was at least seven foot of mad. Quietly she waited a few moments until it was upon her, then pulled aside. It was close quarters here, but she managed to deliver a deep cut to its side. This only seemed to enrage it. Without even recognition of pain, its thick limbs embraced her. Despite her strikes to various places, it swept her up. Ribs and lungs screamed under the pressure as it clapped her arms to her side and hoisted her aloft. Armour felt like it was being embedded into every one of her muscles, bruising her very bones. Lights popped in front of her eyes. Rage threatened. Mother, I can't breathe. The world tilted, and she knew the monster was going to throw her back to its brethren. A roar sounded behind her. The horizon tumbled madly about her, and she fell to the deck with a thump to make her teeth ache. For a short moment, she lay safe beneath the flashing blades of Jerris. Turning her head, she was just in time to see Connor tumble into the chaos of the weavers, the largest one under him. The fool had thrown himself headfirst at him to save her. Eshime rolled quickly to her feet, knowing the danger that was succumbing to pain, and that the young Sitkin would not survive long. Jerris, help Connor! But there didn't seem to be much they could do, fighting on the fringes as they were, and some distance from the broiling knot where Connor was. Not even her worst nightmare could save him. She bunched herself to leap blindly in. There was no way she was going to give up on him. Jerris's swords were silent at her side. Holding her stance, she spared a glance towards it. One hand was on the pulsating deck of the ship, while its gaze was clouded, and a thin line of sweat trickled on its lip. Then there was quiet, sudden. Unexpected quiet. The mass of deformed faces stood slack-jawed, weapons hanging on their sides, all movement robbed from them. Quick, Jerris hissed from the corner of its mouth. Get Connor out. Nervously stepping past silent enemies, Ashime swiftly located and sprawled on the deck. Are you all right? She whispered, afraid to break whatever spells their friend had cast. Sweeping blood from his eyes, he grinned up at her. I think so. But I could still go a bit longer. I don't think that's a good idea. She helped him back to his feet, and the two of them retreated back to Jerris. It was motionless, still crouched and tense, doing whatever it was doing. Get back to the ship. Now. They scrambled to obey, leaping over rigging and glad to put some distance between themselves and the weavers. Jerris heard them go, felt the passing of their warmth, 
but could spare no words yet. The ship fought, thrusting against the confines it had placed, demanding release, full of hate. With each moment that Jerris remained connected to the other, its own individuality was at stake. Away, Jerris demanded. Away from the ship. There was a slither of retracting grapple lines, like an octopus releasing its prey. Only then did Jerris leap for the sweet lady, not trusting itself for one moment longer. Ashimay's strong hand linked with its arm and helped it aboard. Behind, the enemies were still silent. Ashimay gestured at Vral, not daring to speak. He needed no urging to get free of their dark captor, rapidly snapping the shell-shocked sailors into action. The wind came up as if bidden, and their ship pulled away, heading out to sea. Still, the other did not follow. Connor began to bind his own wounds, his eyes all the time on the dark ship. I didn't know how you did that, Jerris, but it was certainly timely. It shrugged, a ripple of elegance that conveyed little of its concern. No prime weaver on board. I was simply able to influence the ship. I can't guarantee I'll be able to do it again. Well, Ashimay leaned against the side and smiled crookedly. That was definitely the right time to do it. They all grinned stupidly at each other, caught in that peculiar relation that follows on the heels of death. The sea smelled sharper, the waves seemed more powerful, and the sky looked bluer. As she may notice, though, that Connor was decidedly wan-looking, as he wiped determinedly at the blood on his blade. If you've finished, Brow stomped over to them, his face more than a little pale under his tan. Would you care to share with me just where we go now? Ashimay sobered quickly, recalling how Morlow Town had been a bustling port, packed with bright ships of all the clans of the Isles, and tried to imagine the horror that it was now. Garen, she thought, you'll pay for this. However, she knew only one other place left to go, Dunleary, her home village, where the Lord lived, and where her father was buried. She had thought never to go there again, but now there was no choice. A few hours that it took to reach it were spent bandaging Connor's minor wounds, Jerris kept itself apart, thinking its own private thoughts, battling its own private demons. Its amber eyes never strayed to another person, fixed instead on the horizon, as if afraid. Is it all right? Connor hissed to Ashimay, while she knotted a bandage tightly around his ribs. How should I know? she replied tartly. I've never known another creature like it, so it's very hard to judge. Keep still, will you? She pulled out a small ivory box in which she kept her surgical needle and thread. Now, I don't know what you're going to do with that thing, but I don't think... Do I have to sit on you for this? She fixed him with a stern look. Well, a twist of a cheeky smile. But may make it a little better. Ashimay flushed bright red, but pinned his arm under a firm grip. This needs stitches, and since I want you in fighting form, you'll stay still. I'm a lady. He sat very still while she pulled delicately at the broad cut with tiny stitches. This is the only sewing I'm any good at, and I hope you appreciate it. It's very pretty. He was silent for a while, watching her at her work. Finishing her handiwork with a flourish and snipping the thread, she smiled at him. You're quite the easiest patient I've ever had. Not even a flinch. You should see Rozo squirm. Her green eyes were distant then, trailing back the way they'd come. Connor coughed politely. <clears throat> So your mother must have taught you to sew like that. No, my father. <laughs> That's probably why I'm so bad at it. Did your mother like you becoming a warrior? Ashimay sighed and leaned back against the wood of the forecastle. She never got a say. 
She was a sailor like most of the village, but she died in a storm when I was very young. My father raised me, and I think he would have been proud of what I became. Water? Yes. He's beyond the veil, too. The moment was gone, and she rose brusquely, breaking whatever connection they had briefly established. Dunleary is coming up. I'd better go speak to Vral. The crew were silent at their posts, and Ashimay caught their suspicious looks out of the corner of her eye. The incident with the dark ship had unnerved them all, and for that she could hardly blame them. One of the ubiquitous island fogs had fallen once more about them, and the creaks of the sweet lady were muffled and hushed. In such conditions, she found her own nerves on edge. Then the mist rose a fraction, and everyone could make out the coast once more. That was not a sight that the crew seemed to treasure. Ashimay's chest constricted more than a little once, though. Home. Much as she still loved it, she had never thought to see it again. There were too many memories she would have preferred to keep in the past. Dunleary was never a welcoming place. A small fishing village perched uncomfortably on the cusp of rock and sea, home to the tough families who squeezed a living from the ocean. It was the only port on this stretch of the coast, and was dominated by the powerful cliffs that rose at its back. No velvety coat of green either on those mountains. Instead, an undulating expanse of rock that poked out from the earth like sharks' fins. It was an unsettling piece of scenery. Jerris joined her in its female form. This is your home, she whispered to Ashime, grasping her shoulder briefly. It looks quiet. It's not my home any more. Strange, but there are no boats on the beach. I've never seen it like this before. Connor joined them. Perhaps we should sail on. No. Ashime clenched her hands on the rail, while every part of her wanted to agree with him. We have to land sometime, and I've got to know what happened here. Do you understand? Of course. Rao coughed nervously behind them. Um, Ash, sorry, but I'm afraid if you're going ashore, none of my men will go with you, not after that incident. If you need an extra hand, though, I could... She stopped him in mid-sentence with a twist of her head. No, Vral, you better stay here. Anchor out of the bay and wait. If we're not back by tomorrow night, or if you see any more of those ships, then you must leave. The captain nodded shortly and went back to the wheel. Orders were given to lower the rowboat. The crew watched, shaking their heads and muttering as they boarded. Jerris in male form and Connor pulled steadily towards the shore. Ashima let them, more than occupied with watching her village and birthplace move towards her. It resolved itself from a grey smudge in the mist into defined buildings. She recognised the shipwright's shed closest to the waterline, ringed with the racks that the villagers dried fish on, but still no boats, and all was silent. In her time, Dunleary had been alive with yells, children's laughter, and lots of gossip. She could still see in her mind's eye the women of the village, sitting down at the shore, mending nets and discussing the merits or otherwise of their men. Of course, she'd never been among them, but she still felt their loss. The bottom of the boat ground into the shore, shaking her into action. Ashime was the first to step ashore, unconsciously holding her breath, expecting the spell to break, thinking that maybe they were hiding around the corner of a building but the logical part of her mind knew this wasn't true. It could hardly be possible that the villagers could have mistaken the sweet lady for a warship. This, this doesn't look good, Connor was whispering, catching the mood of the place. Jerris moved off first and unsheathed his blades. The taste of weavers is about, but humans? I can't tell. We must have a look. So many of my people, so many of my friends lived here. The first painful step towards the buildings, as she may made with grim determination, bursting through her own fear. So they searched, expecting around each corner to meet the dark eyes of a weaver, 
but hoping to find a villager. Doors were hanging open, rattling in the wind, and even the chickens seemed to have vanished. No bodies, though, which pleased Ashime, until Jerris pointed out that the weavers would never leave any. They used everything, even the dead. Connor hunched down, running a practice finger through the grey dust. I can see tracks, plenty of tracks, but it's hard to tell if they're weavers. Hooves and prints as well as feet, and any of those could be theirs as well. He sat back on his heels, confused. I mean, they could have just taken the boats and left. Ashimay snorted. You don't know my clan, then. No one else loves their land or is quite as stubborn as they are. The Lord is even more pig-headed than they are. No, Connor. They wouldn't leave. The tracks are going inland, he suggested, more than a little afraid of what she might say. But she said it anyway. Then we best follow them. The Lord of the Deep's home is just over the first ridge anyway. We've got to find out what happened to him, at least. Ashimay led the way out of the deserted village, without waiting for their comment. Ashimay followed the semi-paved track that led out of Dunleary. She was silent, thinking of the last time she'd been here, running down this very same path in the moonlight, boarding the ketch that waited in the harbour, a whole nightmare of memories behind. That time was so vivid to her that she could almost see it, almost touch the image. And of course, further west along the coast, her father was buried, in a spot that would be forever burned in her brain, for it was the place where their house had been, and it was unmarked, except for in her heart. Snapping alert, Ashume was ashamed to realise that Connor had been calling her name for quite a long time. That was hardly the way to behave in this sort of situation. She spun about, slapping a false smile on her face. What? Can you hear anything? Connor was nervous. Jarris says it can. Of course, by now, Ashime trusted its superior senses implicitly. However, no cover was close at hand, unless they belted back down the hill, and if they didn't make it, their backs would be great targets. Quickly, she gestured them over to a large, rocky outcropping. Soon the other two could hear the approach of hoofbeats ringing like sturdy bells on Dunleary stone. She knew there were only ponies on the island, scared, nervous creatures that rarely came near people. It made no sense. But it became much too clear when fell creatures came over the top of the hill. Connor cursed under his breath and strung his bow. Four heavily built ponies had, by Weaver's angry art, been merged with simple villagers. All was wrought and twisted. "'coloured like a fresh wound, bare of skin and hair. "'They poured the earth in great gouts, "'fixing their eyes on the three companions. "'The roar echoed down the valley "'as they raced swiftly over the uneven ground towards them. "'Ashimay glanced at Jerris, but it shook its head. "'These are primes. "'Single, powerful units, Ash. "'That means I can't influence them like the others. "'Well,' she said, "'slipping her blade from its sheath "'and yet keeping her shield on her back "'for quickness of movement. "'It's the old-fashioned method, then.' Connor stretched his arm forth in one smooth gesture, bow in hand, aiming, pulling, and releasing an arrow faster than thought. It buried itself deep within the horse chest of one of the monsters approaching. But he did not stop to watch, sending another whizzing on its way. It too hit home. Despite the power of the bow, Ashimay noted with some concern that they didn't even pause. They bore down on them with all the weight of a horse, but all the added danger of carrying the weapons of a man. Eyes and gaping mouths were the only features on their heads, they were thankfully more monster than human. Everything concentrated into the thunder of hooves and awareness of the attack. Hold. Hold. She waited until the last moment, then turned and rolled aside, sweeping her sword upward to, to where a horse had a soft belly. The blade glanced aside, as if it had hit ringed mail. She had the dim impression of scales, like a sea beast. Weaver's art and all its cunning nature. 
the misplaced blow shuddered up Hashime's arm. The rank odour of meat rotting in the sun assailed her. Battle discipline was all that stopped Ashime from gagging. A heavy blow fell from above, barely missing her head. Using her superior agility, she kept moving under the belly while it recovered its weapon. She appeared on the other side. This time forewarned, she struck at the side of the belly with two-handed swing, slicing through the marginally thinner scales. The creature screamed more in frustration than pain. Almost unprepared for a flick of its rear legs, Ashime flinched aside and narrowly avoided a hoof full to the chest. As it was, the glancing blow knocked the breath out of her. Blood and intestines were erupting from its belly, yet it still attacked, flailing about with the sword. She caught the blows on blade and shield, feeling the impact shudder up her arm. Chilled and practiced, she kept the barrage of rage at bay, not willing to risk the price it demanded. A leap brought her atop the writhing back of the thing, and she ended it quickly with a long-bladed hunting knife from her boot, slicing across the jugular. Ashime slipped free while it tumbled away. Now she could turn her attention to her friends. She was almost overcome, the hot rage of her father bubbling nearer the surface with every moment. In an instant she saw that Jerris was all right and in control. Connor once again was imperiled. The fool had taken more damage in the last encounter than he'd let on, and his weakened state made him vulnerable. Before she could reach him, his opponent reared up and knocked him aside with a sweep of one iron-scaled arm. Connor's sword dropped from his hand as he rolled desperately to avoid the plunging hooves. Oi! Ishimei bellowed, waving her arms to attract the beast's attention. Over here! It looked aside for a moment, shying a bit as if the frightened horse still lived somewhere within. It was enough for Connor to regain his feet. It reared up once more. It was intent on repeating tactics, but this time he was ready for it. Don't! Ishimei couldn't believe what she was seeing. Connor, don't! The young Sitken stepped into the downward plunge of the thing, rather than the sensible direction of a way. As it fell earthward, he thrust upward. The whole long length of his blade slid into the chest. He flashed a look of triumph her way before realising his peril. Even a pony has a lot of weight, but with the added extra of a man behind it, it might as well have been a mountain. It fell straight down upon him, and he disappeared in a tangle of limbs beneath. Jerris had disposed of his opponent, and raced just as hard as she did to reach him. Thick red blood was everywhere, and the monster was still threshing and struggling to rise. Jerris lashed out, severing its head before bending to Connor's aid. He was slick with blood, and it was impossible to tell if it was his or not. Ashimei stood there for a moment, sure he was dead. What do we do, Jerris? She located Connor's head, deathly pale against all the colour about it, but it gave no clue. Holding it off the ground seemed the right thing to do. Gentle hands, whose healing powers she knew all too well, took her place, searching for signs of life. I can't tell, Ash, until we get this thing off him. But he's alive. Looking around, there seemed to be no way of moving such a weight. Perhaps if we went back to the ship and... Jerris started, cat-like in its surprise, amber eyes widening. I think we'd better do something quicker than that. I hear more hooves. Coming this way. Nothing remained to do. She slid her hands between the dead and hopefully still salvageable trying to ignore the heavy smell of the weaver. Jerris joined her, his male form providing extra strength. Together they heaved, muscles complaining, hands slipping in all the blood, sweat running down through their hair. Sweet mother, Ashime gasped. Just, just let us get this thing up. Come on, help me. The hoofbeats drummed closer. Exhaustion howled in their ears. Ashime was so angry. With Connor, with Jerris, with Geron with everything that had brought her here. She screamed, 
feeling the white light behind her eyes, the exhilaration and power it brought with it. Jerris watched as she heaved the carcass aside, almost entirely by herself. He too felt the power, a brush of something that seemed vaguely familiar. No time to think, though. He dragged Connor up, looking for some escape route. Ashima had turned away from them, her muscles clenched as a tremendous shudder ran through her body. When she turned back, Jerris started. Her eyes were wide and feral, and they burned. No words were spoken, and truthfully, Jerris was afraid to speak. One thing was obvious, though. There could be no running now. Why did she feel resigned to this? In the end, they didn't have to find out the answer. Quickly! A voice broke their moment of communion. Jerris was surprised at the sudden elation it felt. A young girl of perhaps twelve winters gestured hurriedly at them. Her reddish hair was matted and dirty, and she was clothed in a tattered lace. She was standing in what was obviously a tunnel, with one hand holding up a woven mat that contained both grass and stone, the perfect camouflage. They needed no second urging. I hope you've enjoyed this chapter of Weaver's Web. If you want to get your hands on an e or print edition of this novel, you can do so through my website, which is pjvallantine.net. On this podcast, you've heard Ghost Song by Hands Upon Black Earth, which is available through magnatune.com. All other music in this podcast supplied by T. Morris. Find out more about T at tmorris.com. Thanks for listening.